Welcome to Shop Talk Live, Fine Woodworking's bi-weekly podcast. I'm your host, Tom McKenna, and with me this episode are Mike Pekovich. Hey, guys. And Ben Strano. Hello. Behind the camera over there is Jeff Rose. And uh, this episode, we have a very special guest, Fine Home Building Editor, Justin Fink. Hello. Hey, Justin. Justin. Is a new face here. By yeah. the way, at the end of the uh, episode, we're going to have a hair off between Justin and, and Ben. So it's the only time that this could possibly happen <laughs> on Shop Talk Live. <laughs> I can judge, but I can't participate. <laughs> anyway, Justin is uh, has been the editor for uh, about a year. Yeah, I've been been with the magazine for. F- 14 years now. And oh, started off as an one. intern. And you're yeah. like 23, so that's yeah. impressive. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm actually going backwards, too. Getting younger every day. Uh, no, this is really cool. I've been listening to Shop Talk Live since way back when it actually was live from the bench room. Coach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's cool. I listen to you guys every, every bi-week. Every bi-week. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things, I don't know uh, how many of our audience members know Justin, but um, not only is he uh, an expert on home building, but he's uh, he's done quite a bit of woodworking in his time yeah, at Taunton. I, I was once accused by a fine woodworking staffer of being a wood torturer more than a, a woodworker. It wasn't, he looked right at you. Yeah, when it, he wasn't, it wasn't Mike. I was looking at Mike for recognition of who he might think it was without naming any names. Um, that could uh, have been everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I do remember one of your, one of your first projects that, uh, when I had first moved over to, to woodworking, you were, I think you were making a, some sort of a glue up. Yeah. And I remember I was in the shop alone at the end of the day and I heard this loud pop like yeah. the clamps popped off your your glue up and i thought oh justin just did something <laughs> yeah there was a lot of me doing some things um you guys had the unfortunate uh unfortunate uh having to having to see me go through my learning curve of woodworking i did a little bit before i came to work at taunton I took some classes at connecticut valley um but i you know I'm one of those guys who learns by doing things wrong. You know, I can I can read about it all day, and I did. I read yeah. as much as I could, but it's just it doesn't make as much sense to me until I go, oh, that's why yeah. not to do that. And you know, that's a perhaps for better or worse. I was not so intimidated by doing that in front of a bunch of high end woodworkers. Yeah. Um, so I was so going to say I, you were definitely probably the most fearless person I saw in the shop, and yeah. that definitely benefited you. I mean, you. You got out there and you did stuff, and you got good pretty quick. I screwed things way. up too. I mean, I definitely have made a lot of mistakes. Continue to make mistakes. I've hurt myself. I've hurt machinery. I've set up the saw stop at least twice. Um, never, never, never for a finger. <laughs> never for an actual injury. It was always like learning curve stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I I always I have that mentality about home building too. It's just. You know, at four o'clock in the afternoon, I can take an exterior wall down, and it doesn't. I'm never nervous about putting it back together. I'm just it, that stuff doesn't stress me out. Like the day before a big build, or like I hear you guys talking about like the big glue up and get it just doesn't doesn't rattle me. So I think yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't get rattled either. There's about there, that there's stuff. something in the water on that side of the office because yeah. it's like I w- I'll be talking to Patrick McComb and, and saying, oh, I have to do this. He goes. Oh, just just take the side of your shop off, yeah, and and put the drywall. And it's like no, no. Yeah. Well, once you- no, just just cut a big hole in the side of your house, and then <laughs> then put your furniture in, and then put the hole back. Well, because we see, we don't see the wall. We see the parts that make up the wall, and for us, it's. It's really not that big of a deal to disrupt it and then put it back together again. It's a big deal. (laughs) You know, it's not that big a deal, but for me, it takes so long for me to do it because I, you know, I I apply my woodworking too much to my home building and it takes me forever because it's like, wow, that gap is just too small or whatever. Well, so you you know know, what I was going to say is one of the the best things I've found about kind of coming up in that environment of being able to go back in the woodworking shop and doing the home building, I did a lot of remodeling for customers on the side throughout the last 10 or 12 years when I was still running a remodeling business. And I felt like I was able to strike a pretty cool balance between um, being high-end and custom and kind of nitpicky when it mattered, mm-hmm. but then not being afraid to drive a drywall screw to hold something together sure. when it yeah. would be covered. And I just, it wasn't precious to me. It was like, well, I understand the utility of this joint in this situation, but I also know that I could do it in three seconds with a screw and no one will ever know, and that's fine with me. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, I'm always, those two worlds are always in this kind of dynamic 
tension, is, which I think is really cool. Is is finished carpentry where the two meet? Yeah, and that's what I yeah. mostly love. Yeah, yeah, it's it's where you can, it's it's like no nonsense woodworking. Yeah. It, it depends. I mean, finished carpentry is a wide spectrum too, um, because you know a guy putting up baseboard and a guy doing mahogany raised paneling. Yeah. I mean, take your take your pick. Is he a woodworker or is he a carpenter? It's, yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, it's not a long time ago that all carpenters had block planes and, and custom molding planes, and now that's, well, that's for woodworkers only. So it's, these worlds are, are overlapping and changing, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. True. Well, we have Justin here um, <clears throat> because we were sort of uh, doing a thematic show on workshop questions. A very so special episode of Shop Talk Live. <laughs> Which, while we work in them, working on them is that we're not the ones who should be working on our shops. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> or offering advice yeah, to but, other people. I, you know, it's funny because I, I don't, I don't have like the house building or framing <clears throat> experience, but I kind of evolved through the carpentry realm. You know, I took woodworking in high school, didn't do it when I was in college. I was building decks and doing small remodeling jobs, and I, I was kind of working with an electrician on some jobs here and there. But weren't you the copy editor at Fine Home Building? <clears throat> I was. Yeah, started there in nineteen ninety one. But so I think I was it's in fifth grade. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get back into woodworking when I until I started working yeah. on my house, and then I got the job at Fine Woodworking, and I had the shop next to it, and that's when I started kind of getting back into, you know, building furniture and things like that around the house. So, um, anyway, let's let's get to the first question. Now, Ben did something funny here, and I'm not sure I like it, but this first question is actually from me. Ooh. <laughs> and, uh, I say, by me. <laughs> my, my shop is in the basement, and, and I'd like a little separation between it and my utilities. If I walled off the furnace and hot water heater, and I should like, walled off the furnace and water heater, how much breathing room do I need to leave? Also, Ben is the best. And like I said, I did not write that question. Signed but, Tom McKenna. Oh, no, we visually. I did send, you know, instead of trying to describe uh, my whole shop layout, um, I've talked about it before. I'm in the basement, and I have, uh, it's basically a, uh, I have a, a Cape-style home and a very rectangular basement, and so I've occupied basically one-third of it. And right near my work area is my air conditioning unit, the big mm-hmm. the big old mama. It's right um, in the middle. It's right in the middle of, right near the stairs for yeah, whatever reason. Mechanical contractors love that stuff. They love to, they don't they don't think about right. planning and the furnace, a basement in order to be finished. I've yeah, done a yeah. lot of basement remodels. Yeah, and the furnace is way over here and the electrical panel is on the other side, so yep. it's very spread out. And so what I'd like to do, you know, to prevent dust migration and prevent, as I've talked about many times, my cats from getting in the shop, um, <laughs> I want to build a wall um, between my work area and that AC yeah. unit. Yeah. And so, um, you know, how much room do I need? What do I need to think about in terms of airflow? And, and I realize that people, I mean, I guess people can see this drawing if they go to the website, right? Yeah. So which end of these stairs do you come down, Tom? Is it the, okay. This side, so yeah. have you, and you need, still need to have access to that without being in the shop. So I get what you're saying. That's a good place for the wall. So what you got to think about when you're boxing in mechanicals, um, there's a couple of different things. One, there are either code-mandated or manufacturer-mandated clearances around things that you have to maintain. Um, for something, And I say code or, or manufacturer because it can vary. So for the electrical panel, there's set regulations like if you're going to build a wall in front of it. Like sometimes you want to, let's say, put a door covering your electrical panel mm-hmm. like so you can open it up yeah. and, and hide it the rest of the time. You need to have, I think it's three feet in front of it and a 30-inch window side to side. Um, you can't encroach any more than that. And the electrical panel itself has to, open, has to be able to open to mm-hmm. beyond 90 degrees. Nothing can be above it except for electrical stuff. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of safety stuff that you can't encroach on technically. And I say technically because <laughs> the weird thing about building codes for people who are not familiar with that world is that it's completely up to your local inspector. It's, it's, like a, it's at their discretion. Mm-hmm. So you can, if you can make a strong argument that this is what you want to do and this is why it's safe and you have a precedent for it or, what it, or this product makes it somehow okay, it's up to them to go – that sounds fine. You can do that. 
Um, yeah. I mean, my initial concern I w- was about maintenance. I needed, to, I wanted to leave clearance for yep. the maintenance guys to be able to get access to whatever they uh-huh, wanted. Yeah. And then it suddenly occurred to me, oh, you know, I f- completely forgot about airflow requirements. Right. So, so the actual, so the clearance stuff aside, it sounds like the electrical panel is not a problem for you. Um, oh, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but it's way over here. For something know. like a, a furnace and an AC unit or a water heater, those clearances can get a lot tighter, and you can find those if you look up the model number of the unit you have. There are manufacturer setbacks, and they're mm. and often on the sides and the back, they're pretty tight, like inches. Okay, Some, really? Yeah, um, that's perfect because the back end of the unit is facing the shop area, right? Um, so because sometimes they're they're made to be tucked into a really small spot. You know, yeah. it's not. It, that's not a universal thing, though. You can't. There's no rule of thumb. Like you need six inches here, two feet. Often they want whatever side that you're going to be doing kind of maintenance on, changing filters. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever have to replace it and you need to pull it out, that's usually where you need the most working right. room. Um, if you can leave, let's say, like, well, so you start with the manufacturer requirements. If you can go a little beyond that, that's even better. The 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 contractors will appreciate having some space to. Yeah to get around the side and solder a pipe or replace a fitting or whatever. Um, and then the last thing you have to consider is uh, is that ventilation requirement. If if the appliance does not take its combustion air from outside, which you'd indicate with one pipe going up and out of your house and one going out the wall or two pipes going out the wall. Mm-hmm. Actually, sometimes it's one pipe going out the wall with an inner pipe in it. Right. But the, usually the higher efficiency the unit um, in order to get that high efficiency, they're di- they're called direct vent or they're powered vent or something along those lines. Yeah. And in those cases, you don't need to provide – you probably don't need to provide combustion air in the space. It's pulling its air from outside your house, so you don't need to have air for it within the room. Yeah. But if you are – most of them are kind of atmospheric, you know, they're, they're, they're natural draft kind of thing. So they are – sucking up air from your basement. So if you build a little wall around it and put a door on it, you've just choked it to death, basically. That's why you often see these doors with little louvers on them that people Mm -hmm. put in order to make sure there's still airflow going to it. If I was going to build a closet, I was thinking I would put, I would, I was planning to put, um, you know, vents around the, the opening base, around the the wall. And in that case, there are numbers that you can follow for, for the amount of ventilation. Like Mm -hmm. it's actually a, a measurement of the kind of the square footage, the square inches of free airflow that can get into the CFM. Um, That's pretty much what you need to know. The the last thing I'll say there is if if you have pipes that you want to close in, like sewer pipes, a lot of people have that big four-inch drain line running along the wall that's right where you want to put something. You can close that up, put it behind drywall. You just need to leave access to anything that's a Mm clean-out. And a clean-out is... The un, the screw off little yeah. port that they can use the screw part the screw yeah, off the screw part. part that you don't <laughs> ever want to take off those are and, and if you have any uh, uh, plumbing <clears throat> shutoffs those all need to be accessible and mm-hmm. that can mean just behind a door behind a little right. hatch or a little panel do they have to be <clears throat> labeled or anything no. for you know the next homeowner or something like that that's, if, uh, that's just kind of that's courtesy courtesy okay yeah, yeah. The heck with that. No. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of, okay, that was, you know, an AC unit. Are the rules that you're talking about, do they apply to oil burners and gas-fired? Um, it's, again, it's going to be the unit itself. You know, that it's if there's any doubt, you can talk to a, a, a contractor. If you have somebody who regularly services your things, mm-hmm. say, you know, hey, here's my plan. I want to do this. Do you see any problem with me putting a wall six mm-hmm. inches away from the right side of this unit? And they're going to go, yeah, you know, chances are I'm never going to have to do anything on that side. If this part fails, we're going to replace the whole thing anyway, and then you're fine. So you're good to go. So, you know, talk to people who really are making their living at this stuff. They're going to be happy. You might have to pay a little bit. Like, hey, I'm going to pay you 100 bucks to come to my house and talk over the plan with me. Or the building inspector might be able to do it for you. Um, so it's... It's it's hard to give a blanket answer to it, I yeah. guess. Okay. What are, You're going to find that to be a theme in in the world of home building. Yes, yeah. well, we can know, barely uh, we can rarely give you blanket or yes. you know very specific answers. But it's 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 good to know what you need to look for. Yeah, that's that's you what know, we try to. Yeah. Um, rather than you know kind of trying to always solve everything or tell people you need this tool or th- do it this way, I just try to take the stance of let me give you some options, give you some things to look out for. And then later, 
you have all of these options at your disposal because yeah. there's 10 yeah. ways to do everything and there's 10 tools for every job. Right. And, and talk about potential obstacles once absolutely. you, like, you know, I'm yeah. in the throes of starting to plan a kitchen remodel and talking to the contractors. Hey, well, I think there's, elect- I know there's electrical in this wall. There's, there's a heating pipe yep. over here and things like that. So it's good to have those discussions so you can kind of plan out. What are the utilities that you would least like to have in a workshop? Dust wise, I mean, because I I used to have my water heater like right next to my mm-hmm. table saw, and it was a natural gas water heater and had that chimney sent right. Up. I, was, I was like, <laughs> is this okay? I don't, I don't think I should be throwing dust at it, but um, I don't know. I've never actually thought about that. Uh, I don't imagine it would be a concern. But you're right. It is. I mean, it's essentially there's a pilot light in that thing, but the fumes going out the that's basically a chimney at the top. Yeah, yeah, um, and it and it's enclosed. Yeah, and it, well, and that's not. There's a gap. Well, there's yeah. a gap. But if, yeah, was... if you were really concerned about that, you could switch to a direct vent, okay. which which is essentially, uh, like I said, it's a pipe going right outside for the exhaust, and it's sealed so that and it's drawing the air in from the outside, from the outside. right? And and the also the the thing that that might be really interesting in your situation is, let's say you close off this area of your basement that includes a gas water heater, and now you also put in a dust collector. When you flip that dust collector on, and let's say you've piped it outside or whatever you're mm-hmm. creating a massive vacuum then you are sucking exhaust fumes down your chimney from your water heater and into the space and that is massively dangerous yeah so you need to be careful with that kind of stuff backdrafting well, let, let's let's uh we have a uh, heating related question next so maybe we can uh, just get into that right now okay. um this question comes from peter and peter says we rent our house and my wood shop occupies half my garage this is our first winter here, and I'm not sure how to properly heat the garage. Given that that it's a rental, a heat pump or a gas heater that requires ventilation is out of the question. I do have a table saw that runs on 220, so I could use that circuit if needed. What type of heating unit would you recommend? Um, and Ben had a note that mentions he specifically asked about infrared heat coil type unit yeah. with a fan and an oil-filled radiator style. So it sounds like he's leaning towards electric resistance heaters, which sort of makes sense. You don't need to vent anything with electric. And and when I say electric, it's the same as a space heater in your room or electric baseboard along the floor. Um, It's it's a hair dryer. I mean, it's a (laughs) – you run electricity through it. The elements heat up and and get hot, and then air circulates through it, and and it it sometimes has a fan. Sometimes it's passive. And and if it – I mean, if it has the fan, it's probably going to move more air through it and be more efficient. Or uh, not necessarily more efficient. Maybe more. It depends. It's it's. I wouldn't necessarily jump to it's more efficient. Okay. Um, it might work faster. Electric. See, electrical appliances in general get kind of a bad name. Is electric people say, "Well, those you don't want electric baseboard. It's not efficient. It's actually extremely efficient. It's just expensive. Mm-hmm. Efficient in the sense that you you put one unit of energy in and you get one or more energy out. That's okay. very efficient. Whereas I put one unit of energy in and I get less than one out for something else perhaps. But it's just that electrical tends to be an expensive uh, commodity. It's an expensive utility to kind of pipe in as opposed to it's, gas. It's just not wasting the electricity. <clears throat> like Yeah. Some, and, right. and, and this is in broad strokes. Something yeah. like a duct, ductless mini split, very efficient in terms of uh, how much you get for your money of energy you're putting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, I mean, there's drawbacks. I'm in the same situation in my shop. I have, a, I have a wood wood stove. I have a detached garage shop, and I have a wood stove that I primarily use for heating. Obviously, the, the huge swings of temperature are not great, and I'm at the point now where I've invested enough money in tools, hand sure. tools and machines, that it's getting to be a problem of, how can I not justify spending $1,000, $2,000 on good heat and cooling in there to protect my investment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm still <laughs> stubbornly trying to do it with electric resistance heat, which is expensive. So, And the, the drawbacks are that um, like baseboard electric heaters, mm-hmm. that takes up a lot of floor space and mm-hmm. there's a lot of dust in the air. Yeah. Not that that's a hazard, but it's going to – it's messy and it's going to – Stinky. Yeah, it's not it's not great. Um, what did you do to insulate your shop? 
All right, so that's a whole different. <laughs> so the the real this is an- Justin Fink. The real answer to this question is it doesn't really matter what you're putting in there for heat if your shop is not well insulated. Right, and True. and insulation doesn't matter unless you're well air sealed. And so so let me if I can take a little leniency with this question, I'm gonna back up a second and give you the I won't I won't go into the full nerdiness of the house as a system because Jeff's heard it before, <laughs> um, but but think about like the the basic functions of a structure you and this is in an order of priority rain control uh air control vapor control and then thermal and the reason why i'm saying that they're in order is you don't worry about if the building is airtight unless you first made it weather tight mm-hmm. and you don't worry about if you have a vapor barrier if you haven't already gotten it airtight and watertight and insulation is the last thing to worry about People jump right to that and go, I put fiberglass bats yeah. in my wall. That's it's terrifically wasteful because all that's acting as is a giant air filter if you haven't <laughs> already addressed. And that's why when you pull off those fiberglass bats, you see the dark staining yeah. on them. That's dirt being filtered out as the air flows through mm-hmm. and heat moves on air. So if you don't make it tight and weather resistant, you're just throwing money at it and it's not giving you a good return. So, if you only have enough money for one thing, and there's a roof over your head, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make it airtight. Not so. This is where it gets more complicated. Let me give you this. Uh. Let me give you this example. <laughs> if it's cold outside, let's say you're gonna walk your dog in the winter. It's cold outside. You throw on a sweater, right? But as soon as the wind blows, how effective is that sweater? You're gonna be freezing, right? It's gonna blow right through. Mm-hmm. So, in order to make that sweater effective. You put a windbreaker over it. Now you're blocking the wind and allowing that sweater, which is your insulation, to do its job. So you really can't do one or the other. Now there are insulation products that do both. And I think you you have spray foam, right, Mike? And my roof, yeah. Okay, so that would be an example of controlling air and uh, thermal in the same product. Rigid foam, Mm -hmm. you know, pink, blue, white, pick your color. Um, All of those are the same basic principle um the the probably the best most uh cost effective way to do this is let's say that your uh stud bays are wide open in your detached garage put a layer of of rigid foam you know cut pieces and stick them against the the inside face of the sheathing vindicated foam them or caulk them in place so that there's no gaps and then put bat insulation in before you put up drywall all right i didn't go that far (laughs) 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 <laughs> um, that will that will prevent condensation inside your walls. It will control air leakage, and it will still you by filling up the rest of the space with the fluffy insulation, which is much cheaper. You've created kind of a a good balance of of air tightness and insulation and cost effectiveness. Okay, how, how did you um, insulate your garage door? My garage door it has, uh, well, it's not well insulated. It's probably the biggest leak in my shop right now, and that is a project for next year. Um, are there any products that you know of that are easily e- easy to install? Or Well, do you mean keeping the original garage door? Because yeah. I took mine off, oh, and I put on okay. carriage doors. Because I'm thinking, you know, well, this is a rental, obviously, but uh, I'm sure yeah. the garage door is going to stay. But is there something that he could maybe do with yeah. the garage door that could, you um, know? If you're not planning to use it a lot, I mean, it depends. Like, are you shipping pieces of furniture in and out on a daily basis and you need it to work? Or is it like, you know, I'm closing it up for the winter? No. His, his wife uses the other half of the garage. I know that. So, so I guess it depends whether it's a, you, double, ben? A, double, a, a double door or a single no, door. No, I talked around that a while ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it depends if it's a double door or yeah. a single door. I mean, you could uh, sheet of plastic with like house wrap tape taped nice and tightly is going to control air flow. So mm-hmm. you could, you could temporarily, you know, uh, it's the same as putting that film on the inside of your windows in the winter. You're creating an airtight barrier, not ideal. Mm-hmm. I mean, better to answer Ben's question. If you could only do one, I would try to control the air leakage, right. but it's not going to be as effective. You're still going to lose radiant heat through yeah. that, but at least you won't be drafty. Well, he's and that re- might help. He's a renter. Maybe he doesn't have to worry about the electrical bill. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so, so getting back to his question, though, uh, out of all of those heating options. It. Yeah. Um, so, 
I think the oil-filled radiator style is probably going to be um, – and what that basically is is like if I'm reading his, his example correctly is essentially a, an electric heater that has some fluid in it. And it, so it heats up the fluid and right. that retains some of the heat and then radiates it out. I'm guessing that will be the most efficient. But you'll, you'll be able to look up the efficiency ratings of these different units. Oh, okay. So um, – and by the way, you can also – for people who are freaking out about how much it'll cost, you can you can calculate that too. You can you can just go online and and, and type in um, uh, how to how to calculate uh, kilowatt costs or whatever it is, and you plug in your your kilowatt hours from your energy bill. You multiply that using a formula by how many watts the the electric unit is is producing, and then um, uh, you multiply that by how many hours a day you think you're going to run it, and you right. and you aim high. And then you go, okay, it's going to cost me this much money per month to run this thing. And it might scare you or it might be like, okay, that's good for one year. And then next year I'll get a better solution that's more efficient and go from there. I'll put solar panels on my roof and crank the heat up to 80. Or move to Arizona. Yeah. Oh, man, that solves so many problems. (laughs) (laughs) No humidity. Yeah. Um, Now, when when we talked about this earlier, a week or so ago, uh, you specifically recommended not doing what I do. Oh, right, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, you use a like a big uh, torp- what is a what are the, the heaters called salamanders? Yeah. yeah. So those things are essentially like water injection systems. So you're like <laughs> you're not only raising the temperature very quickly, mm-hmm. um, and, and the higher temperature air can hold a lot more water. So think about what you do, and you're essentially the um, the the amount of water that air can hold increases as the air gets warmer. So warm air holds a lot more water than cold air. So you walk into your freezing cold shop, you inject it with a blast of super hot heat, which also has moisture in it because you're running fuel through it. Uh, by the way, this is all putting aside the actual dangers of running a combustion <laughs> appliance in a closed area, but um, which you really shouldn't do. But uh, you're injecting this moist hot air into your building you're like wow that was a good day i cut my dovetails did a glue up whatever turn off the light shut off the heater and all of that hot air is now cooling down looking for the coldest spot in your shop and then it's the water's just being squeezed out of it. and the coldest spot is going to be the cast iron surface and then flash rust within a couple days you know so instead of like a situation like mine where I go out into my shop a couple of nights a week. Mm-hmm. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Not easy, man. <laughs> so you're better off just just trying to heat it to a bare yep. minimum, keep it above you want freezing. It to be, you want to aim f- for not above freezing. Well, you got to be higher than that. Okay. Because you got to be your, your colder surfaces. The surfaces are going to tend to show rust if they are at or below the dew point. And the and that's a whole yeah. De- I, I mean, if you I googled that yeah yeah let's let's and jump my that. brain exploded. I want Fine Woodworking to do a feature on answering this freaking question for me of you know dew points and the heat the cooling sink of of a cast iron table saw and how, what temperature do I need to keep it at? Help me understand because it is complicated. It's but it's in basic terms, the dew point is like the point at which well the dew point is the point at which if you go one degree colder water will drop out yeah. of the air. So it's like 100% relative humidity and then some. Yeah. So is there a guess? Yeah. Keep it at, let's say, well, you're, let's say you have a hygrometer in your shop so you can check the humidity level. I can get one. Okay. So it, <laughs> that'll show you the relative humidity. And you want to be at 40, 45 for, in terms of machinery, not rusting. Yeah. I don't know where you guys want to be at in terms of Comfort. wood. Well, that'll be a comfortable. Well, that'll be a comfortable zone too. I, I think what you know, most woodworkers would look for is stability. Yeah, you know, because then you so can kind of know so much. Yeah, so you know, kind of where you're at in terms of the the seasons and build accordingly. Yeah, you know, for the gaps and so it's, like that. it's less of an exact number, more of a just consistent, predictable yeah. number. Yeah, like okay. my, I'm I'm lucky. I, even though I work in a basement shop, it's not cold you know it's really comfortable to work down there yeah. and when it gets you know we're in the midst of a cold freeze here but when it's like this all i have to do really is i go down with a, an electric space heater fire it up 10 minutes before i go into work and it's perfectly comfortable i just put on a sweatshirt and i'm good to go so. yeah 
Yeah. Uh, um, this is turning into like all about the editor's questions about our shot. Well, they, mean, but they apply to a lot of them. Yeah, they do. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really, I wish there was blanket answers, but if you could aim for 40, 45% relative humidity and keep the temperature above the dew point and you'll be safe. Um, that might be a lower number than actually comfortable for working in. And the dew point is not like, let me look up the dew point and that's the number for the year. It changes based on the temperature and the relative humidity. So it's right. it's like a constant equation of yeah. safety. You guys need to make an app. <sighs> yeah. We, you just need like a little wall panel that converts it for you and that has a little flashing light that says like, you're below the dew point. <laughs> your table's also going to rust. Get the blow dryer. Really specific. <laughs> thermo- All right. that? Let's move on to uh, the next question. This one is from Bruce. And Bruce says, I have a two-car garage with a four-by-six post pretty much dead center. There's a bedroom wall above the post running from the back of the garage about two-thirds of the way toward the front. What would be the easiest way to support the wall above and get rid of this post? Uh, This is like every person's question for a detached garage shop. Well, I've got a lolly column like smack dab in the the middle of my workspace. Yeah. Coming out of your table saw outfeed table. (laughs) It's Yeah. How do you guess? (laughs) Um, So essentially, if you want to – let's take a step back here. So that post is is taking up some of the load of the beam – which is supporting the floor. So if you want to remove that post, you need to size up that beam to the point where it can span from end to end without any mid-span support. So if you want to remove a post, you need to beef up the beam so that it can do the job that the post was doing. That's essentially it. In a detached two-car garage, um, well, he didn't say detached, but two-car garage, let's call it... It's going to be anywhere from probably 20 by 20 to 24 by 24. So let's shoot on the big side and say 24. You can you can what's called clear span that, which is go end to end with a mm-hmm. beam supporting the floor in most cases. Big beam, right? It's a, a big la- beam. A laminated <clears throat> beam. So you're going to – I mean most people are probably going to use – unless you go to steel, they're going to use uh, what's called an LVL, which is laminated veneer lumber. I think that's what it stands yep. for. It um, is. It's from my copy editor days. Uh-huh. <laughs> LVL. It's been a long time since I had to. Define. Define. It's been a, it's been Between the two of you, we don't know it. We're sure. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, a quick look at the, the span tables on, on the different LVL manufacturer websites will tell you um, what you need. And and I know, I don't know what other companies are like, but Warehouser, which is one of the one of the companies, and, and I cannot spell that for you. Um but it, uh, if you call up their 800 number, you will get a human, and they will say it will ask you questions about your structure and tell you what size beam you need for free. And they will send you a document. You bring the document to your building inspector, and that passes code right there. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have an engineer or anybody. They they do it for you. A lot of higher end um, building supplies mm-hmm. have engineers. They will do the stuff. same thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, they have software that you can run the stuff through to figure out the size. But for this case, what you're talking about is essentially, based on my quick look, and speaking in, in round, broad terms here, it's probably 18 inches tall, the beam, and it's probably going to be three layers thick, so about five and a quarter inches. Oh, it's a big it's beam. Big. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a two, it's a double double garage. But it's yeah. not even that. It's if, it like in Tom's situation, his beam is almost almost definitely below his floor joist. It's it's so the oh, it floor is. joist bear on it. Yeah. So if you're adding another 18 inches to yours is probably like a 2 by 8 or 2 by 10. That's Bunch. a that's a lot of headroom reduction. So what you need to do in that case is recess the beam up into the floor system. Hmm. And now instead of the floor joist landing on it, they're connecting to the sides of it with floor joist with joist hangers. Yeah, it's almost Simple like a, it's actually not so bad. So what you so the guy it's, it's like, just take it's the like building it's like building a torsion box in your so, floor in a way. So what you got to do is in any of these cases is you have to build temporary walls to support support the floor joists on either side of the beam. So the parallel to the beam, move two feet in one direction, two feet in the other, and frame two by four walls in place. You know, just screw them together because you're going to put them together and take them apart later. Just start by yeah. making two walls. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> but it's temporary walls, no, Mike. I have extra yeah. walls. Well, in terms of the in terms of the construction and location, um, 
where you put that beam, does it does it matter whether the wall above is a load bearing? Um, and do, do you have to beef up the ends of the beam? You know, like putting studs underneath them. So yeah, so where that where that beam goes into the wall on either end, the two bearing points, you have to have support down from right. there onto the onto solid bearing. So let's say you're, if this is a an attic shop, that means that that load path has to be carried down to the next floor down to the floor below that to the basement. and and it's not it might just mean a little bit of surgery you just have to think continuous yeah. load path you're you're taking all of the load of that floor across the beam concentrating it on two points and those two points have to be supported yeah it's, now, it's the same principle as like a door header kind of exactly yeah. <clears throat> yep. i mentioned this because it might be something that somebody might want to do you know if the beam somebody <laughs> or if if the lolly column is in a horrible spot in the middle of your shop yes would it work and or make sense for some people to do two lolly columns in a better s- spot yeah it depends if you have if if it's a built up beam and the beam is spliced together over the column that might be a problem okay but if you want to just move them a little bit and take up the load. I think you should be fine. I mean, you might want to have there's a lot of like kind of yeah. back of the napkin stuff going on in the real world of building. It's like, yeah, this will probably be fine. Houses are pretty redundant. Yeah. It's not going to fall down and before it falls <laughs> down, it's probably going to creak and sag a lot and you'll you're going to know um, six months later, hey, this isn't working so great. I need to add a post back in here again. Yeah. Uh, or you can talk to an engineer and they'll tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. But uh um, yeah, the only thing to know there is those posts have to land on something. So that means you have to cut a square out of the concrete slab, usually two feet by two feet, and usually, I don't know, 12 inches deep, pour a concrete pad, okay. and then your post lands on that. Cause you're, because your slab's only it's a not thick enough. Thick. Yeah, yeah, it's, not, it's probably three, four inches thick. And again, not a huge amount of work. And I, I think a lot of people would end up really having fun with some of this stuff. It's, it's actually pretty oh, fun. Sounds like a blast. It's pretty fun, gratifying work to like break well, we, concrete, <clears throat> pour concrete, erect a big timber structure. You know, it's, um, and when you're thinking about load paths, you guys know, think about like clamping pressure, you know, yeah. how it kind of rate, if you put a clamp on it, kind of clamps 45 degree right. angle mm-hmm. off it. It's sort of the same with a load huh, path. Cool. Yeah. So if you're within, like if you have a big post coming down, if you're within kind of 45 degrees of supporting that you're you're probably okay huh. it doesn't yeah. have to be directly under it necessarily it's just you know huh. getting that beam up there it's physical labor you need, yes. you need a couple, couple people you know yep. a couple ladders lvl 24 feet long is massively heavy I, at that point i would recommend going to a rental center and getting what's called a, a material lift you'll pay i don't know maybe a hundred bucks a day and it's essentially a hand crank you ever see like a sailboat where you do like the hand mm-hmm. bike kind yeah. of a it looks like that, and it just has like a little forklift thing that lifts things up. It's like a, like a heavy duty drywall lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but okay. it looks it's it's. <clears throat> but they've got forks like a forklift, like they're out in cool. front of you. Ah. So you're essentially lifting. It, it's awesome. It can lift so much, and See, it's very satisfying. <laughs> I feel recent, like a Hercules. Last year, when I, I uh, remodeled my bathroom, I enlisted Patrick McCombs' help, and one of the things that I loved about it was that he had all these gadgets that I didn't even know about. Yeah, it's just like, oh yeah, this cuts a perfect hole for the pipe. I'm like, I would have been there, you know, yeah. hacking away with like one yeah. of the saws in my in my basement. It's shop. always a better tool. You know? Yeah, for everything. Is. So, cool. and Mike wants to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so the the basics here, though, to remember is you got to support the load temporarily with these stud walls. So before you take the old beam out, and um, then when you put the new beam in, get it all fastened off. If the joists are on top of the beam, you're you're probably okay. You might want to add some hardware between the beam and the joist to keep it from rolling, and some solid blocking between them, maybe. If the joists are going to go into the beam, which is what you're going to do when you have 18 inches to bury, you want to get rid of. 10 of it by sliding it up into the floor that reduces your mm-hmm. amount sticking out to but about where you are anyway compromise the load nope because then you're putting joist hangers on the end of each joist and tying it to the beam now okay. you're unifying that whole system cool and you can do that by the way from above if you want you can cut a hole in the floor and drop the beam down into a pocket that you've cut in the joist wow. so mind blown um yeah there's a lot of <laughs> it's creative, cool. and there's a lot of articles on you know adding a beam so that this stuff is well documented in a lot of different from below from above and you mentioned um 
building some temp walls, would uh, pump jacks be a, a suitable replacement, or is that pump jacks? Uh, the term pump jacks in my world is what you'd use for like outside a house for like pumping up to the siding scaffolding. Yeah. So no, you wouldn't no, be able to use that. I'm, but I'm sorry. I, it, I'm like using, screw jacks. I'm, yeah. Or, I'm using the wrong term. Yeah. yeah the, I would stay away from the lit, you know, they have those little short bottle jacks, like, yeah. And then yeah. you put like a big timber on top. That's what I was thinking. The of. trouble with those is as you crank them, you're creating this pivot point, like a foot off the ground oh, with okay. an eight inch board on top mm. of it. And it's gotcha. going to get tighter and tighter. And then it can risk kicking out. They call it or mm-hmm. it flies out really dangerous. Okay. Um, they do make big, taller screw jacks uh, that you can kind of they they can carry a lot, um, but you know it two by four wall two by four plate at the bottom and the top and Boom. studs every sixteen or twenty four inches hmm. screw them together and then you can reuse the wood later for something else. Yeah, sounds good. All right, well, it is now time for our all time favorite workshop of all time for this week, and we'll let our guest go first, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my, and this is sort of a non-specific picture that I have included here. It's of a timber frame structure, um, and it doesn't have to be this one. I just want a timber frame shop. Uh, I like how the stairway in this one tucks into the back corner. It's just an L-shaped stairway, so it's out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's uh, light in here, but it's not a ton of light, uh, and that's okay with me because I do end up doing a lot of my stuff after dark anyway (laughs) Uh um i would rather have the wall space and what i really like about this shop is that it has craftsmanship on display and that's very i find that to be very helpful for me because i walk into a shop like that and when everything is very well done in the shop itself it inspires me to work to that level rather than if it's a really crappy shoddily assembled shop it makes me frustrated and feel like well what's the difference i can just you know the the, the bar is so low mm-hmm. even around yeah, me that's that a I, good just, point. I don't want to i don't want to be inspired and work to a higher level the other thing that's nice about this is with the concrete floor you could put in radiant heat yes. right there so that everything is just at an even temperature hmm. Um, so, very comfortable. If right, you guys so have been to I, Peter Gedry's shop, he has that. No, but Tom McLaughlin, uh, the new host of Rough Cut with Fine Woodworking, yeah, soon to be out on PBS. Um, <laughs> he has a shop that's very similar to this, but you know he's got a radiant floor. In, yeah, in a bay, and it, it we were up there on a cold day, and it was nice. There's I mean, it's no very slow to react. It if, is. if you're like, I want to go in, fire it up, and then for two hours and come back out again, it's not going to be no, for you. But for for maintaining, yeah you know good levels of heat you know it's it's pretty sweet yeah high high ceilings wide open lots of wood all around me would would you build it sure is that like a dream to build a timber frame yeah Uh, i I, i've often said on on our podcast the fine home building podcast um that my dream would be if i was going to move to new property would be to build the garage first so i have my shop on the first floor and i that way i can use the shop for everything to outfit so let's say it's a it's an existing house that I want to renovate. Mm-hmm. Make sure there's enough room on the property to build a detached garage with a second floor loft. So I work downstairs and use the upstairs for living in while working on the house. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's kind of my I dream. I just leave it at that. Probably. I know that sounds that's, pretty good. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> that's the really the reality of it. But you know, yeah, I, I have a thing for timber frames, and I, I edited. Uh, a timber frame book from Taunton by Ted Benson mm-hmm. many years ago. And it's just like a gallery of just, oh, I wish. I it's wish, I it's wish. giant furniture joint. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and, and you also notice here that you're seeing the whole structure on the walls. So that would mean for this to work, you need to put insulation on the outside. Mm. So yeah. in that case, you put enough <clears throat> foam insulation and then some vertical strips and then you hang your siding on that. Or just well, get those panels. Right? Yeah, all those, you those get, panels. They're called SIPs panels, SIPs, structural yeah. insulated panels. Yeah. I don't love those. They're, no. They carry some risks that are, I'm not comfortable with. Oh. If you get air leakage between seams, they can lead to hidden rot. Oh. They're, they're, they can be finicky if you don't do them well. Mm. Not impossible. I'm not saying that. Just yeah. I know a lot of people love them. I just, uh, mm, mm. I'm hesitant. Cool. Oh, good huh. to know. All right, Mike, how about you? Um, this is uh, one of our authors, Charlie Durfee. He lives up in Maine, and he's sort of the same thing. He His original house on the property was 
um, the downstairs was a shop, and then the upstairs they lived. And um, right now, he's still in the shop upstairs, is now sort of a gallery. He has some furniture up there, and, and further up the hill, he built a house um, so his wife wouldn't leave him for the most part. Uh, That's why you finished the house, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> so what I like about it, um, lots of light, but the scale of the shop itself, sometimes our authors are sort of more commercial oriented. They have big shops, bigger mm-hmm. machines, but Charlie's shop, it's really to the scale of, I think, what the average fine woodworking reader would aspire to. Mm-hmm. A nice space, nice windows, nice workbench. He has a wood stove in there. He's got the um, joiner, planer, bandsaw, table saw, all of the scale that we would typically have in our shops. But he makes a living doing that, makes a living making beautiful furniture. And it's just like it represents, I think, that ideal lifestyle, something that I think we would all aspire to if we didn't have a eight to five job where, yeah, this is my shop. I want to be here. I want to be making furniture. Um, so it just kind of represents that ideal. And it's a, a beautiful space to be in. And also there's so much beautiful window light in there that you basically walk in and drop your camera on the floor and it takes a great picture. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Do you mind if I uh, go, go next? Because yeah. I, I, I'm my dream shop is Garrett Hacks. I was going to actually my second choice. Yeah. For very similar reasons that, that Mike mentioned. That was my first you know. choice, but I knew you were going to pick uh, it, so I went with Charlie. <laughs> that was actually but, the conversation. But it's funny because, you know, Garrett, I've been to Garrett's shop many times over the years, and the story behind it is great. He built it um, with his own hands. Um, used, I think, recycled brick, right? Um, he laid up those he, brick walls? Yep, he laid up everything. And he, I think he had some help. Yeah, from a local bank that was being torn down. Or yeah, something. so he's wow. always re- recycling something. It's it's awesome. But, you know, it's probably 30 paces from his back door. Um, you know, it has a bunch of natural light. And like Mike said, you can walk in that shop and drop a camera and get a, a wonderful photo. And one of the most frustrating things for, for me is when I have, uh, usually it's a new editor, going up to Garrett's place and you come back with on a, you know, just dark windows. And it's like, dude, what'd you do? <laughs> Cause it's all bright, you know, you hear that Barry? And, and <laughs> but Garrett actually works mostly by daylight. He has so much light and it's East. The windows are East facing. So he's out there, you know, after he does his farm work, he's usually in the shop pretty early by 7am and he just has this brilliant light coming in, um, and he just works by that. So, it, and it's one of those, it's a dream shop, you know, like Mike said, in terms of its scale, you know, it's not overly commercial feeling. It has really good space between the machines and the workbench and his handwork area. And it's a place where, you know, you're comfortable just hanging out. Like you can right. actually, he and I have actually sat out there and, you know, eaten lunch you know, on the workbench. Well, maybe not as on his workbench. He's a little precious about that. But uh, <laughs> but it's a great place to hang out. Wait, so would you guys all feel comfortable giving up all that wall real estate for that amount of window? That, yeah. Yeah. Well, in Garrett's, in Garrett's case, he has the whole back wall is built into a hill. So he has okay. a bunch of wall storage. Also great for insulation. Yeah. And he doesn't, <laughs> and he doesn't have, um, if you look at the photo on the far end that, that you don't see, that's also, there are no windows on that wall. Okay. So I've actually got, never seen the outside of this building. I'd have no idea. I had no yeah. idea from the photos yeah. it was brick. It's quite nice, and for, you know, you look out the window, you see his horse barn and the fields, and what a jerk! <laughs> it's it's quite nice. He's and just upstairs. There's like a little drawing office space, and yeah. also a loft for lumber. And there's an entrance to that from the other from the back end, which is further up the hill, ground yeah. level. Yeah, yeah. And what I also like, and kind of talking about heat. Gary, I, I wish I remember the name of the system or or what it's, but it's based on uh, I think it's a Nordic system where it's like masonry mass. It's like a wood mm. stove built into concrete, basically. Yeah. But so it, you, he, he fires it up and he like just keeps once it running. The, no, like once in the morning. He yeah. does one burn in the morning Is it and he's in Vermont and it heats the shop. Yeah. Those yeah. are called like, uh, I think they're called masonry heaters. And essentially that, it's, a, it's a series of hollow chambers inside of... Yeah. Exactly. That's and, exactly what it and is. And you have like a little tiny fire once yes. a day and yep. it just works all day. Wow. Yeah. And he yeah. heats his main house with the same system. Yeah, they're pretty cool. You know, like the center of his house has this big, massive um, masonry thing. That's, you know? that's, that's another it's one where cool. I hope you are going to – it's probably a little bit of a learning curve to figure out how big of a fire in the morning is going to make me comfortable but not push me out yeah. or <laughs> open the windows in the afternoon. Yeah. You know? yeah. Anyway, um, that was uh, – that's mine. 
How about you, Ben? Mine is a little bit uh, different. And it's based on the fact that I have the fine woodworking shop available to me for large work. But Dave Fisher's setup is, at this point in my life, ideal. Um, it's right off the back of his kitchen. Uh, it's actually the entryway to the house that that, that everybody comes and goes through. But um, I yearn for a place to work at night that keeps me connected to my family. Um, I go into the shop every morning, and that's where I use the, the joiner. That's where I use the bandsaw and everything like that. But Dave's setup is just... He's just in there carving bowls, carving spoons, whatever, and he's right there. Oh, you mean you go into the shop here at work yeah. every morning? Okay. But at home, I I I have to I have to go outside to the to to, to my garage where I'm not working out there yet because I'm still building it. But um, I would love to after dinner just have a spot connected to the house where my wife could still talk to me, my kid could still run in and show me a drawing or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm doing my thing too. You yeah. Know, so that that really sounds great to me at this point in my life. That's pretty and, cool. And he can cook hot dogs while he's working. Yeah, sure. And the thing is, if it's a small enough space, it could later be used as like a, a mudroom. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a farm style mudroom for anybody who wanted the house after you. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is a converted garage. Um, and, you know, right. it would Another be great totally option. usable for, for anybody else. You know, it's it's still got the garage door if somebody wanted to use it as a garage. Yep. Um, he's got it somewhat insulated and it didn't, uh, am I, is this the story where he was actually, he and his wife were living in that space while they remodeled the house? Was that, or is that my think of a different shop? Oh, it's so I fun. Must be thinking of a different <laughs> I shop. don't know. But anyway, he did have a lot of power tools and machinery in there while he was working oh, that's building the his house. That's the link. And okay. then he decided he got rid of everything and he basically, he's a bowl carver. It went quiet. Yeah. Um, and that's one where the, the shop really reflects what he does, how he works, mm-hmm. and yeah. kind of his sensibilities, and so it's a notion of what's the perfect shop. There's no such thing. What are you right. doing in the shop? Yeah, and my, and you know, it's funny with my workspace. It's not perfect, but I enjoy what I'm doing in it. Yeah. So, and in Dave's, when when you talk about how you want the the shop to inspire your yeah. worker, I mean, it's like every hook that a tool is hung up on is hand carved, right? You know, and. I've been trying to keep that in mind as I build my shop because I right now I just have an extension cord running out from the house. I I, I took the the power out because I'm going to run 100 amp service out there. Um, but so I don't have a table saw. I don't have I if if I want to run my air compressor, I have to unplug everything else. Unplug run the, the air lights. compressor. Yes, <laughs> I sit there in the dark with a flashlight and run the air compressor. Yeah. You know, you're earning it, man. Yeah. But so it's like as I'm trimming stuff out, I'm using my handsaw. Um, you know, if, if I need to rip something down, I, I knock off most of it with a draw knife and then hand playing it. And it's like last night I got two shelves on these little ledges put up and that's it. In cool. the hour and a half I was out there, but you're it was like, you're also going to happen. He's not you're being gonna, paid by the hour. You you, yeah, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to get to the end of this and realize that you're so enamored with this new method of work. You're not going to want power anyway. Well, <laughs> that's the right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I am leaning towards that again, since I have access to a 16 inch joiner yeah. down the road. Yeah. Well, the, the, the good thing is, you know, Dave Fisher will be at fine woodworking live yep. uh, in April. So people can kind of get to know him. He's, he's, he's pretty soft spoken when I've talking to him, but he's spoken with him, but he's, uh, He's a fabulous uh, woodworker. He does some amazing uh, carving. And uh, I guess actually Barry had taken a class with him. Our new editor, Barry Dima, had taken a class with him. Or knew him. I thought he had taken a class with no, him. No, I don't think he's taken he's, he's done some with Peter Follinsby, who oh, maybe will that's also what it is. be at Fine Woodworking Live. But anyway, yeah. That's, <laughs> Dave, Dave Fisher has quite the, uh, quite the shop. And I, I won't love, be at Fine Woodworking Live. Why not? It's actually, I do want to go. You, come on. You know a guy, I right? should go, yeah. <laughs> go It'd be kind of cool. We can get you. Yeah. Yeah, when you sell it? t-shirts? We uh, April twentieth and yep, the weekend yeah. of April twenty, twenty first, and twenty second. Where is that? This and is not a plug. I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Southbridge, Massachusetts. Hey, near, I'm close to Southbridge. Yeah, Southbridge near Treehouse Brewing. Yeah. I'm just, okay. Yeah, just just up the road from Yukon. Sign me up. Okay. So, all right. Well, let's get on to some more. The actually the last question of the show, and this one comes from another Tom. And he says, I'm about to build a 1,200-square-foot shop. 
and would like to know your thoughts on what you consider to be the optimal floor, considering I have some heavy machines. Also, would you run the dust collection under the floor or go with the more common ducting overhead? Hmm. This is just someone who wants to say how awesome his shop space is. <laughs> 1,200 square That's feet. Huge, yeah, I, it needs to be sturdy because I have like a Northfield 12-inch yeah. joiner. So. <laughs> I mean, you need a concrete slab when you're at that level, I would think. Because that's going to be the easiest and probably least expensive and most durable option. And you put the heat underneath it. Um, yeah. Can you run ducting under? We have that at the at the wood shop at well, at least partially. Yeah, that's true. I guess, yeah. For the table saw, it goes under the slab. Um, you can just cut channels and run pipe. Yeah. Okay. Down and over. I mean, I don't know if you'd want to do the whole thing that way, at least without cleanouts to to take care of. Those long strands mm-hmm. from thin rips that get caught and block up the works. Getting the arbor nut out <laughs> of the ductwork. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so I'd put in radiant floor concrete. Yeah, I would too. I mean, that, uh, you, can, you can make concrete a nice finished floor too. I mean, you can polish it. You can stain it. Uh, you can you can do some really cool things with it to make it a really nice space, mm-hmm. and people think of concrete as as cold and kind of uh, you know commercial and and not very friendly. But yeah, you mean, add a nice finish to it, you put some heat in it, so it's a nice warm place. Dog will love to sleep on it. Uh, everything will be good. Concrete, yeah. I, I we find did concrete a, is really hard on my back when yeah. I teach at certain schools where they have concrete. It's a killer. Mm. I have just like a raised plywood floor on sleepers on top of my concrete. Yeah, the same thing. Um, and I find that much more comfortable. Yep. So. Um, you could also do glue down wood flooring over a concrete slab. I think slab. Yeah. that is just yeah. enough. Yeah. Fine. Oh, um, we had done an article on that, I think, uh, many yeah. years ago, like laying a, a, an insulated floor over a concrete right. floor. I like I like to have wood in a shop. My shop floor is, is sheets, is uh, two opposing layers of half-inch OSB oriented strand board, mm. no finish on it. It's just mm-hmm. the sheets are screwed together, but not to the slab below. Mm-hmm. So they float over a layer of foam, oh, cool. and that Should stuff is to you. so is so. I did it after you, <laughs> <laughs> and that, but it's so OSB is so cheap and so strong. Mm. Like it's just it it takes a beating, and I don't care if I spill a little finish on it. Yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. So so yeah. screwing them to to each other keeps them from potato chipping you're creating a floating floor and that's the reason why you're you're going perpendicular one layer perpendicular to the other is it creates some strength it offsets the joints uh-huh. and um are they know, glued or just screwed no they're just screwed just together screwed. Okay. yep yep huh. and that's pretty much it that sounds pretty nice yeah and you that. can do that you can you can lay flooring over that if you wanted to do you have a vapor barrier um Anything like that i don't have enough foam underneath my my uh, two layers of OSB, I have just a very thin layer, um, but that would be the vapor control. Okay. Yeah, but if you just done a thin layer of foam, six inches. No, it's actually, <laughs> this one is actually like three-eighths of an inch. It's not. Okay. It's like enough to keep the OSB off the concrete slab. I was on a on a uh, strict budget when I put the, the floor is the first thing you do. And if you yeah. don't have any money, it's like you're not going to move everything out to do it again, at least not without a lot of cursing. Mm-hmm. So it is what it is. All right. Well, Hopefully not my last shop, but to make it what I, what I can out of it anyway. Well, thanks for coming on, Justin. Uh, that's all for this episode of Shop Talk Live. This check, out, epi- check out Fine Home Buildings hey. podcast. It's all right here, man. Did you really? This episode <laughs> has been brought to you by our friends at Fine Home Building. Oh. Go to finehomebuilding.com to discover the best building information on the planet. While you're there, the universe, find- really. All right. While you're there, <laughs> find out what's up with Keep Craft Alive and... Uh, do you want to throw a plug for your podcast? And What's when, up with when Keepcraft it's, when it's Live? Keepcraft Live is like our, our movement to restore the prestige and, and honor around people that work with their hands and get stuff done. Hmm. It's um, it's a, It started as just kind of a hashtag that Rob Yeager, our editorial director, threw out in the world. And it has quickly grown to be such a massive uh, campaign that's spreading tentacles in so many directions that we're, we are actually having to really – um, pick up our pace just to keep up with the the concept. People are are, wow. are really yeah. digging it a lot, and and it, and it you know we encourage woodworkers to use it too. It's the same. It's that same kind of movement movement uh, towards working with your hands, and that doesn't have to be for a career. It can just be mm-hmm. you know bringing honor back to it because yeah. we're kind of losing that. We're moving away from it. So yeah, and, um, and you can go to keepcraftalive.org, buy a t shirt. Get a, um, get a bumper sticker. Get a sticker, and all those proceeds go towards uh, funding 
scholarships for kids who want to go to trade schools and, and, and do that oh, kind right of on. stuff. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a great. very cool program. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh, please spread the word about Shop Talk Live to your woodworking friends and neighbors. Shop Talk Live is dependent on your questions and comments. So make sure to send them into shoptalk at taunton.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please click that thumbs up button. Finally, you can keep up with Fine Woodworking on Instagram and on Facebook and look for all of us on Instagram as well, including Justin. Thanks for listening and have fun in the shop. Mr. J. Fink, right? Mm-hmm. Hashtag yeah. keep craft alive. <laughs> Boom. Keep craft alive. 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 Restore the prestige and, and honor around people that work with their hands and get stuff done. Get stuff done. Keep craft alive. Keep craft alive. Go to keepcraftalive.org. Keepcraftalive.org. Buy a t-shirt. T-shirt. Sticker. A sticker. A t-shirt. Keep craft alive. Keep craft alive. All, all, all those proceeds go towards uh, funding scholarships for kids who want to go to trade schools and do that kind of stuff. Keep craft alive. Keep craft alive. It's it's a very cool program. Keep craft alive. Keep craft alive. It's a very cool program. It's a very cool program.